Welcome to Grace Bible Fellowship Sermon Archive. Our prayer is that you will be abundantly blessed as you listen to this sermon delivered by Pastor Paul Francisco. Join us as we are pointed to the grace found in Jesus Christ alone as recorded in God's holy word. Praise God for all of you. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you this morning. I have to just say and confess to you all this morning, just feeling a little off the mark, but praise the Lord for all of you and the worship team. Thank you for serving us so well. I really felt like I was worshiping in spirit and truth this morning. And a special thanks to Sandra Gardia for getting on the drums. It was awesome to see her there today. So praise the Lord for that. And so this morning we began our time in the letter of Jude. 25 verses, one chapter, packed with such theological truth that should affect us. And so this morning, as we begin our time in the letter of Jude, I pray that your hearts are moved and the Spirit is filling you at this moment to receive the truth of these words. So this morning, first two verses we look at is a greeting. It's a greeting, yet there is so much for us to learn from this. And this is why I've entitled this sermon, The Chosen in Christ. Recently, I have begun watching a special series called The Chosen. If any of you all tuned in, whether it be on their special app or Amazon Prime, you can watch this. And it's basically the story in the life of Jesus um, calling his disciples. And they specifically at the beginning say, hey, read the Gospels. But they, what they're trying to do is kind of fill in what would be historically and culturally correct of the times, kind of filling in the gaps of the, the, the lives of the disciples and, and those, those who would encounter Jesus. And what I've really enjoyed about it is it, it both captures the balance of Christ's humanity, but also his divinity. And we get to see very plausible stories of how the disciples were chosen by Christ and the struggles, the struggles that they had while seeing Christ's incredible patience with them and others who were witness Christ's teachings. Tragically, many of the Jewish religious teachers of the day sought to hold both their knowledge of God in positions of the law to uphold their own power rather than demonstrate mercy, peace, and love towards the people. And I want to propose to you this morning, beloved, because of mercy, peace, and love of God shown through Jesus Christ, Christians can rejoice in their status as the Lord's servants. So to give you a little context, Jude was the brother of James, and we see that immediately identified here in verse one. Likely were the brothers of Jesus, his letter warns against those who have gained a mission to the church, perverting the grace of God and denying Jesus Christ as Lord. 
Jude loved to use Old Testament examples, as you'll see as we spend our time in this letter, to warn of these blemishes on the church while rebuking the ungodly and urging Christians to continue in godliness and love towards the ungodly in an attempt to win them to Christ. Jude begins this letter in greeting with these deeply theological words to the church, the chosen. And this is why this morning I want you to see from these two verses to know who you are in Christ and secondly, to know what you have from Christ. And so if we look at this first verse, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Jude, much like the Apostle Paul, recognizes his role to Christ. He calls himself, actually better translated, would be a bondservant of Christ. The word literally means slave, such as a servant of love. And that's why bondservant, I think, is a good translation of that word. Submission, ultimately, to the lordship of Jesus Christ out of reverent love is what we see here. And I've mentioned this before in the past. In Old Testament times, during the year of Jubilee, all debts were to be forgiven amongst Jewish people. Those were to be set free from their service of debt owed. But when a master treated their servants with such great care and love, some willingly continued in service as a bondservant. And what they would do is they would take their earlobe and insert a nail to the earlobe and essentially hammer their ear to the master's home, kind of like what we would have in a piercing, but probably more painful. And they were to be bonded to the home of their master out of love. It was representative of their love to their master. This is coming from Jude, who mentions his brother James in the same light. They are both half-brothers of Jesus, yet they consider themselves to be bondservants to Jesus Christ. They recognize themselves for who they are in Christ. Jude immediately identifies himself in relation to Christ. He doesn't call himself a brother of Jesus, relating to their earthly relationship. In fact, Matthew mentions four brothers of Jesus in his book, in his writings, he mentions James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, who we call Jew, who likely was the youngest, because that was the tradition of Hebrew writing from oldest to youngest. And if you were to look in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 55, and you can turn there if you want, or I'll just read it for you. It says, and when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where did this man get all these things? Furthermore, Jude did not believe in Jesus during his earthly ministry. The Apostle John records this on Jesus' time at the Feast of Booths. If you look at John chapter 7, verse 5, it says this. 
After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. And verse 5 says, for not even his brothers believed in him. In fact, Mark, in his recording of the gospel, states that Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind. Jesus, after choosing the 12 apostles, returned home in chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, and you, you see these words recorded, recorded. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he's out of his mind. So here it was, Jesus, through his earthly parents, earthly brothers and sisters, they didn't understand. Young into his life, there was many things that they missed, and some believe, didn't believe in him at all to be the Messiah as he was called, and they even thought he was crazy. However, not now that the resurrection has happened, it changed everything for Jude. He's, he is now happy to claim his new identity, to claim his brother as Lord and Messiah, who is the Christ. Jude's affirmation and ours, beloved, are being identified in Christ should reveal something. Who we are in Christ. There are four things I want you to know who we are in Christ. First, we are purchased. Second, we are called. Third, we are loved. And fourth, we are protected. Purchased, called, loved, protected. Look at this. It says, we are purchased. Okay, so it says, the text says, a servant of Jesus Christ, I just explained to you, means doulos, the Greek word for slave or bondservant. Jude's relationship is no longer one of a brother to a brother. But it is of a slave to a master. Think about this for a minute. Do you have siblings? Was there one in your family who always believed they were right? They never got in trouble, and in their parents' eyes, they could never do wrong? Of course, we know that's impossible and untrue of any unearthly family. Think about this, though. Jesus, however, was truly the kid who was right and never wrong. What an honor it was for Jude and for us to be slaves to, to the king, King Jesus, 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us we belong to him because we were bought with a price. 1 Peter 1.9 informs us of the precious blood of Christ. This is where we get this hymn from. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Therefore, our lives are not our own. If we have been saved by the blood of Jesus, then we belong to him. We ought to submit ourselves to the lordship of Christ. This means our time, our money, our bodies. 
This is precisely what Romans 12, 1 tells us, right? I appeal to you. I urge you. Therefore, brethren, whatever translation we look, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as holy and living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Jude was happy to embrace his brother as king. What about you, saints? Do you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ? If we were to look at your bank account, would it reflect that Christ is Lord? If we asked your neighbors about you, what would they say? And because we were purchased, we were also called. And that's our second part of who we are in Christ. We are purchased and we are called. That's what the text directly says there. It says, to those who are called. Consider this call in your life, Christian. Are you humbled by it? Are you left in awe? Our calling is sure. Our calling is central to our identity in Christ. I love how scholar Daniel Aiken puts it. He says, here the word means the effectual calling of God that opens the heart to freely respond to the gospel. In scripture, there's two kinds of calling. There's a general call and then there is an effectual call. There is a mysterious wonder in this truth that the sovereign God effectually brings persons to salvation in perfect harmony with their free will response to the gospel. Those on the receiving end of this precious, effectual calling to Christ are called the called. Christians, we are chosen in Christ. It's not of our own doing, but it's a gift of God. Are we living a life worthy of this calling? The way we speak to our spouses, the way we teach our children, the way we love our neighbors as ourselves, the way we extend mercy and peace and love. When we go to that same Starbucks every day, every week, wherever that place is, do we live worthy of the calling? When people see us, do we reflect Christ in the way we conduct ourselves? Do we love people with the truth of the gospel? Do we tell others of the fact that they are condemned without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but they can experience the mercy, peace, and love of God found in Jesus Christ who opened his arms of love nailed to a cross. Nothing we know, nothing we say, or nothing we can do can either bring this about nor take it away. Beloved, this is our security in Christ. 
chosen to be sanctified and declared justified before God. Christ became our elder brother, our redeemer, our friend, and our Lord. Because we have been elected before the foundation of the world by a God who loved us. By a God who loved us. So we are purchased, then we are called, and then we are loved, beloved in God the Father, the text tells us. Beloved. What an amazing word. This is why I can never get over this word, and I say it so often. I, I just think about who we are in Christ, loved by Christ. Therefore, we are loved by God the Father. Why do you think I love saying this so much? Because I can never get over the love of God in our lives. Consider Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The word for love here is in the perfect tense. It's affirming that this is final. It's settled. It's a settled reality of Christ. And this is the only place in the Bible where this phrase is used. Beloved in God the Father. Or you can translate it, loved by God the Father. There is a sense in which God loves all persons in his creation. Made in an image and likeness of the creator, the Imago Deo. However, God especially loves his children. Do you believe that this morning, beloved? Do you feel the love of God resonating in your hearts and your minds? And if you don't believe, feel it, do you at least acknowledge that it is true? The sovereign creator of all heaven and earth by the word of power, created all things. He spoke in existence. He created you uniquely, who you are, in your personality, in your life. And then he refused to leave you in the rebellious state that you were. He purchased you by the blood of Jesus on the cross, and he called you. He reached down from the depths of the pit where we were. And he calls you beloved, beloved. He is now, for those of us in Christ, our heavenly father. He loves us with perfection and permanency in his affection. This love is not fleeting or unconditional or conditional. You can't do anything to make him love you more. Nor can you do anything to make him love you less. Isn't that amazing? And God protects those whom he loves. He purchases, he calls, he loves, and he protects us. And the text says, and he kept us for Jesus Christ. 
Again, this word is translated in the perfect tense and appears to be one of Jude's favorite words. It appears five times in his short 25-verse letter. The word has the connotation of protecting one from harm. The emphasis used here is that we are kept safe in our salvation for Jesus Christ. Again, security of the believer. Hebrews 7.25 links our eternal security to the intercessory prayers of Jesus. If you read that, it says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, or completely, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercessions for them. Think about that for a moment. At this very moment, Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our Redeemer, It's right there at the right hand of the Father praying for you. He's praying for you. He loves you. He's advocating for you. He is protecting and watching over you. You have been kept for Jesus Christ. In verse 24, Jude says that Jesus will keep us from stumbling and present us to the Father without blemish. He is keeping us. He is sanctifying us. And we are made perfect in Christ. The finality of Scripture teaching is we see our security in Christ. Jesus obtained our salvation with his work here on earth. But through his work in heaven, at this moment, he maintains our salvation. Think about that. I mean, it is amazing that God would save any of us rebellious people. But he's infinite and merciful to keep us a Christian. Think about, I mean, to become a Christian is a miracle in itself. But to remain a Christian, to rise up and to lie down in the grace of God, knowing that you were in Christ, is amazing grace. Therefore, in our identity in Christ, we are purchased, we are called, we are loved, and we are protected. What amazing truths about being chosen in Christ. Do you see your position in Christ? We are more than conquerors in Christ, Romans tells us, but that's not all. We have a threefold possession of joy in Christ. And that's what we see in verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Jude has a love for triads or groupings of three. In verse one, he told us we are called love and persevere, preserved. Now he gives us three abundant blessings in Christ, all chosen in Christ. He wants mercy, peace, and love to be multiplied. He desires that the children of God to be filled with the Christian graces. That means for all of us saints in Christ, we are to enjoy three abundant gifts. We are to enjoy the abundance of mercy. We are to enjoy the abundance of peace. We are to enjoy the abundance of love. Jude's greeting leads the way with mercy. 
The word translated here is found in 78 times in the New Testament. It's the Greek word, Ilias. Romans 9.23 tells us that those who trust in Christ are called objects of mercy. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Matthew 5, 7, the merciful are told that they will receive mercy. This is on the Sermon on the Mount. And right here in Jude, verses 21, 22, and 23, we see, again, this mercy that he speaks about. Daniel Aiken says in Jude 21, we are told to look for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 22, we are admonished to extend that same mercy to those who are doubting. In verse 23, to those who have been defiled and devastated by sin, we received mercy and we give mercy. We gladly give to others what we have received from Christ. We enjoy from God what that certain man going down to Jericho received from the Good Samaritan who when he saw beaten and left for dead, had compassion and went into action. God saw us, beloved, beaten by Satan and left for dead in our sin. And he went into action on our behalf and set his son, Jesus Christ, being our wounds, healing our souls and making us his own treasure. Now that is mercy. Therefore, we are filled with joy through the abundance of God's mercy through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see the mercies of God working in your life? How often do you reflect upon these mercies God has so graciously given over to you. If you just take a moment and think back to what your life was before coming to faith in Christ, you might just see God's mercies along the entire way bringing you to the foot of the cross, the people he sent in your life to speak truth, the things that you experience. All that was going on in your life was an act of God's mercy and then the greatest mercy of God was his son, Jesus Christ. Do you delight in extending mercy towards others? I want you to think about those in your life. The truth and reality is there are many around us who do not know this mercy. There are many around us that need mercy. The many around us that mock God's mercy. Sinners. Sinners who commit adultery. Sinners who steal. Sinners who lie. Think about your neighborhoods. Surrounded by sinners, I'm sure of it. Last night we were given an opportunity to go celebrate the marriage of one of our neighbors. And the truth and reality, they have been living in sin up until this point. But we went and we extended mercy to them and we loved them. 
and we celebrated with them. God uses the extension of mercy in your life towards others to point them to Jesus Christ. How are you using God's mercy today for those who are in your life? When we, de- when we do so, it brings about the abundance of peace. And that's our ex- second enjoyment, the abundance of peace. The Greek word for peace cannot be separated from the Hebrew word of shalom. Shalom, it's the idea of wholeness, completeness, prosperity, and success. Everything given by God in every area of your life is close to equating the idea of salvation. It's no wonder the Apostle Paul can say in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Judges 6.24, God is called Yahweh Shalom, meaning God alone is the source of peace. Isaiah, the prophet, chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, speaks of the coming Messiah as the prince of peace. Considering our salvation, we have an external peace. But when all life around us is crumbling, here lies our eternal peace. It is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Have you experienced trials, tribulations, troubles in your life? Seeing loved ones pass, experiencing your own health deteriorate, watching those you care about losing their lives, The temptation is to say, woe is me. But if you are in Christ, the chosen of Christ, you get to experience the abundance of peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And there's also an eternal peace that I think is best stated in the words of Moses. They are found, recorded in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. When he says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Daniel Aiken states it this way. God is the Lord of peace. Jesus is the mediator of peace. We are the heirs of peace. Thus Jesus can say in Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. Christian, be filled with the joy of peace abundantly this morning. And then we get to experience this amazing, amazing enjoyment of abundance of God's love. In Jude's letter, he tells us about mercy and peace and love and abundance. And now we look here and he reminds his readers that they are loved by God. 
God is described many attributes in Scripture. We are told that he is holy. We are told he is just. We are told so many things about the nature and character of God. But the Apostle John, I think, sums up the greatest of these. And he calls God's character up in love. And he says, God is love. And Jude's greeting of prayer is that those who are chosen in Christ would see this love from God as ever real and ever increasing towards them. Do you experience God's love increasing in your life, beloved? God's greatest love towards us was the greatest sacrifice to himself. By sending his son so that those who were chosen by Christ would, in John 3, 16, believe and not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love also seeks and desires our greatest good. C.H. Dodd says, but to say God is love implies that all his activity is loving activity. If he creates, he creates in love. If he rules, he rules in love. If he judges, he judges in love. Amazingly, we are told in John chapter 17, verse 23, the father has loved the son, so he has also loved And God's love is both eternal and final. Just look at Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, when he says, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or things present, uh, nor height, nor death, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that since love is at the center of who our God is, it will never fail. It will never end. Jew knows both the power and joy of this love. And he wants us, beloved, he wants us to know it as well. How often do you take in and soak in and meditate upon the love of Christ in your life? Do you see God's love working in your life? Love should be the mark of the Christian. Do you extend the love of God with others by sharing Christ? One of the most loving things you can do is to share the love of Christ with others by both telling them the truth of their sin and showing them the mercy, peace, and love you have experienced. Jesus didn't come for the righteous, but he came for sinners such as you and me. The truth is we primarily live and work around sinners. And we were purchased and called and preserved for a purpose. To be filled with this with and extend the graces of Christ with sinners. Mercy, peace, and love should be our markings. They should fill us with abundant joy. Let us live out these markies and invite sinners into our homes and into our lives. Tell them. Tell them of these graces of God. Tell them about God's mercy and peace and love. 
so that they too might be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. As one theologian concludes here, he says, what a joy to be a slave, a slave of a great master, a king whose name is Jesus. He has purchased and called. He loves and protects. He showers his children with mercy and blesses them with peace because we are his. We have eternal security in our hearts and external security in the world and eternal security in heaven. Can anything be more wonderful than being a slave for such a great king? Christian, remember who you are in Christ and what you have. You have been purchased, called, preserved, and given mercy and peace and love. You are the chosen in Christ. Never forget these truths and be humbled by it. Then pray by the filling of these graces as part of the chosen. Extend these truths and gifts with others who do not know them. Friend, God's mercy, peace, and love is extended to all that trust in Jesus Christ. Listen to me, children. The Lord seeks to be infinite in his mercy peace, and love towards all. Do you hear that, children? Do you hear that, brothers? Do you hear that, sisters? Do you hear that, friend? He extends infinitely his mercy and peace and love towards others, but there is a judgment. There is a judgment that will come to those who have not repented and trusted in Christ. Anyone who trusts in Jesus will receive mercy, peace, and love. So come to Christ today and escape his wrath. Humble yourself before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as the apostle Jude ends his letter, I end our time together. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be majesty and glory, dominion and authority before time, now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. God, it is infinitely merciful and loving that you give us this peace, this peace of eternal security peace of external security and this peace of eternal security in Christ that you have chosen rebels and sinners such as ourselves to be called beloved. We are so thankful for these gifts bestowed upon us. Lord, help us to be good stewards of those who have been purchased, called, and loved May we be those markings in our lives and extend these graces to others today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord that his word is sufficient for our every need. Join us next time as we continue our study of God's infallible word. We would also love to have you join us in person at Grace Bible Fellowship. 
We meet together each Sunday from 9 a.m. to 9.50 a.m. for Connections Sunday School and from 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. for our worship service. We're located at 1385 Northwestern Drive on the west side of El Paso, along with our hosting sister church, Mission de Gracia. If you have any questions, you can dial 915-308-1208 or visit our website at www.gracebibleelpaso.org. We would love to see you this Sunday as GBF gathers to proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ.